Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. I want to read you a portion out of uh, Luke chapter 24. And Pastor Chris has been preaching through uh, the book of Luke, and we're going to read out of Luke. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. (laughs) It gets exciting right about there, doesn't it? But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. Help me, church. He is? He is risen. He is risen. Our faith pivots on that truth, Paul said. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 15, Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still dead in your sins. That's what Paul said. Then there's no hope of life after death, no answered prayers, no power to change your life. All your work, all your giving, all your sacrifice for God is in vain if there is no resurrection. Then this is just one big, bad April Fool joke. The worst hoax foisted on mankind, and Jesus is the worst and uh, world's greatest deceiver if he did not rise from the dead. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then we, then we are right on everything else. Amen? Amen? Oh, yes. Well, we'll look uh, just a little bit at, very quickly, at some evidence that Jesus lived and died and rose again, and then we're going to get to the real important part, which is the meaning behind it. But let's begin with this, because there are so many questions out there in the media and in our culture today, and and there may be some of you that are here today, and you're wondering, uh, you know, did he really? Did he really live? Did he really die? Did he really live? So let's look at it just very quickly. Um, Did Jesus really live? Or is that just a mythological legend? Now, it's important to notice that virtually no Christian or non-Christian historians disagree with the fact that Jesus actually lived. Take, for example, Josephus, who is a non-Christian Jewish contemporary historian of Jesus' time, and uh, historians consider him uh, very reliable today, and he referred to Jesus in his writings as the one who claimed to be the Christ and that he was martyred. Then you take uh, Tacitus, also a non-Christian, and he was the most important Roman first century historian. He told us much about Rome and uh, the Roman Empire in the first century. And he said, he also spoke about Jesus and his crucifixion. And then there's the Talmud itself, the very important uh, Jewish religious book. And it talks about, and that's, it's a non-Christian book. It's, it's a Jewish book. It's a, it's a fine book, but it's not a Christian book. And it talks about the existence of Jesus. It doesn't deny his miracles. And it also says that he was executed by the Romans. Isn't that interesting? And so there we have it. There's no doubt that Jesus lived. Well, is there any evidence that he died? Well, the, the women, they were the first ones at the tomb. We'll mention that a little bit later. But uh, they and the disciples, they 
declared that the tomb was empty, and you'll notice that Jesus' enemies didn't disagree with it and say, no, no, that's not actually true. You've got the wrong one. He's actually in this one. They didn't do that. And, uh, and uh, you know, because of that, a, a variety of theories uh, grew. And uh, by the 19th century, we had even like the swoon theory. And the theory was that Jesus fainted from exhaustion on the cross and was later revived in the cool, damp air of the tomb. Really? Really? The, the Romans actually knew how to kill people. They, they had no problem with that. They had invented the most cruel form of execution that there was. And most of the people that were crucified died actually when they were being flogged. Never mind the crucifixion. They didn't even get to the crucifixion. Uh, it's a ludicrous assertion. And the enemies of Jesus, they never doubted he died. Hence the stolen body theory that we see even in the scriptures. Where they, where they colluded together and then they paid off the guards and said, well, just say that the disciples came and stole them. But the disciples couldn't have stolen them uh, because they would have had to get past the guard. There's no way they would have got past the guard and then they would have had to move that gigantic stone out of the way. So, did he live? Yes. Did he die? Even the historians said it. Yes. His enemies didn't deny it. Well, did he live? Did he rise from the tomb? Well, Jesus' enemies claimed that his body was stolen, but think, just think about that logically. Really? The Romans didn't take him. They wanted Jesus dead. That's why they crucified him. So they wouldn't have taken him. They would have just exposed him. Uh, the Jewish leaders didn't take the body. They wanted him to stay dead. I mean... Can you imagine how happy they would have been if they would have found the body after this rumor started? They would have taken the body and they would have paraded it downtown Jerusalem, all through the streets. And that would have killed the fast-growing Christian movement that was saying, he's alive. And so it was spreading quickly. And that would, have, that would have killed it right there. So Jewish leaders didn't take it. They couldn't produce it and stop it. The disciples couldn't have taken it because the guards would have noticed. That leaves us with one option. One option only, Jesus Christ arose. It's very logical. It's very logical, and that's exciting. But is there any evidence that he arose and that, this wasn't fabricate, that, that it wasn't fabricated? We'll look at just a few very quickly here. Some of the most popular uh, ideas on this. Number one, nobody was expecting a resurrection. That's the one thing the disciples were, and the Christ, that's one thing they were not expecting was a resurrection. I mean, Jesus would, from time to time, uh, as he was walking along the roads with them and talking to them, uh, and he would say, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised three days later. And his, and his disciples were completely confounded by it. They had no idea what he was talking about. They would talk to each other and say, what is he talking about? And Peter himself, he, of course, Peter, he, you know, he gets his foot in the mouth quite a bit, like, like I do, and some of us do. And he, he jumps right in there and he says, uh, Jesus, that's just never going to happen. Okay, let's just settle this once and for all. And of course, that's the event where Jesus turns to him and says, remember, Satan, get behind me. Because the thoughts that, were, that he was receiving, 
uh, were coming from Satan. That is one thing they weren't expecting. The last thing they imagined was that Jesus would actually die at the hands of a pagan occupying force. Crucifixion of a would-be Messiah meant he wasn't Messiah. We backed the wrong person. We thought he was the Messiah. Obviously, he's dead. He wasn't the one that the prophets talked about. Now, not only the disciples weren't expecting it, but neither were the people of the day. I want you to th listen to what Celsus, a second century philosopher, said. Uh, he was highly antagonistic toward Christianity and argued against the uh, resurrection. And this is what he said. He argued that it couldn't be true because Jesus was seen by women, and we all know that women are hysterical. That's what he said. Now, I know it sounds funny, but there's a reason why I inserted this, because that was a prevailing belief in the culture. The culture believed that. He wrote that, and he went, yeah, that's true. Women are hysterical. So you can't believe them, so you couldn't have them at a trial. They couldn't be witnesses because they weren't reliable because they were hysterical. So if the gospel writers were making up the resurrection, and this is the important part of it, they surely wouldn't have written women into the story as first eyewitnesses to Jesus' empty tomb, would they have? That, that, would, have, that would have gone against their, against their argument. They certainly would have written them, and they would have written some guys in there. The, the disciples got there first. And uh, that's what they would have said. The only possible explanation is that the women really were present, and they were willing to report that. And the women reported what they saw. The stone was rolled away, and the tomb was empty. That's amazing. I love that, don't you? Oh. Well, is there any other evidence well, the secret hoax couldn't have held. It wouldn't have held. It's impossible. Paul made a long list of people who claimed to have seen the risen Christ personally, and then he notes, he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500. Most of them are still living. And Paul was really saying, why don't you just go and ask somebody? Why don't you just ask somebody around there? There's a whole bunch who saw him. And it's ludicrous to suggest that hundreds of people would have hallucinated at the same time. That's crazy. It, 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 just, it just doesn't fit logic. Paul is really offering his readers the opportunity to go and talk to them. If it had been a hoax, it would have had to last for decades. Think about that. And, at the same time, each of those hundreds of conspirators would have had to hold that secret right to their grave. <laughs> what are the chances of that? Nobody keeps secrets <laughs> that long. At least when they're dying, they tell somebody the truth. Is that true? That couldn't have been. There, there's, there's some pretty strong evidence. And of course, the third one, we all know that one too. A group of cowards was transformed into a group of willing martyrs. Yeah, it's true. I mean, think about, think about these disciples. Uh, when Jesus enters the room after he's resurrected, what are they doing? They're cowering in a room. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't have. I'm just saying that's what they were doing. They were cowering. You know why they were cowering? Because they were afraid they were going to be arrested next. And that they would suffer the same fate.
And yet, when, by the time we get to the book of Acts, not that long later, a few months later, we find out that they stand up to the authorities even upon the threat of death. And they say, we ought to obey man uh, or God rather than man. They're saying bold things like that. Does that look like the same two, two guys? Completely different. It's true that many people have died for their faith through history. Muslim suicide bombers do that. They sincerely believe they'll immediately, and, and the reason they do that is because they sincerely believe they're going to go to paradise. But I want to ask you a question. If they didn't think they, uh, that this was true, would they die for, uh, as, as suicide bombers then? Would they? No, they wouldn't. And so if the disciples knew that Jesus hadn't actually risen, would they be willing to die for him? <laughs> no, just like the, uh, the suicide bombers. If they knew that he hadn't actually done it, by the time they said, you know, either you recant or, and, and live or you don't recant and die. If they knew it was a lie, there's no way they would have held on uh, to it and been crucified in some of the most awful ways. Peter, upside down. Crucified upside down. And uh, there's no way they would have done it. The only way for the disciples to fearlessly face torture and death was for them to have seen the risen Christ. They encountered him. They were astounded and they were stunned and they were shocked by it. And for that, they were willing to live or uh, to die. Amen? That's why. But I want to get on to the next part. I hope that maybe helped, maybe strengthen you in your faith. This isn't just a fable that we're believing in. And if, you, and if you're a seeker, if, if, you're, if you're, try, you're seeking for truth, I hope that maybe helped you to see that we're not just following some, some, some strange fables that somebody came up with. We're talking about history here. Something that actually happened. But now let's talk about the, the meaning behind it, the importance of the resurrection. Well, f first of all, because he lives... I'm assured that my past is forgiven. Now, I want to back up with that because I don't think we can really appreciate that until we just go back to the cross and the reason for it a little bit and then we come to the resurrection. So let's back up just a minute. We find the, like, why did Jesus have to die for our sins? And we find the reason it's rooted in the character of God. It's rooted in two character traits of God. The first one being love, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? But the second one is rooted in what do you think? Yes, justice. God is also just at the same time. He loves us on the one hand, doesn't want us to have to pay it, but on the other hand, somebody has to pay. And that's what it's about. Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 25, Paul talked about that. He said, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his what? Justice. We're always talking about the love of God, love of God. We should. We should. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. But there's another piece to this. There's another half. And that, God, that was God's justice. He is perfectly just, just like he is perfectly love. And he had to deal with sin. He had to deal with it. 
So what kind of a God would he be if he didn't deal with evil? Isn't that true? If he wasn't just, if he just winked at evil and said, just forgive and forget, what kind of a God? Well, when, when you think of some of the horrid things you've read, either in history or the things that are happen, happening presently, I'm going to use two examples, not because they're the worst, though they're bad, <laughs> they're really bad, in fact, one, yeah, one of them is really bad, but the reason I'm going to use these illustrations is because I want you to feel it a little bit. Because without feeling it, we don't always necessarily appreciate it, okay? So, let's take for example, and these are, these are recent news stories. A doctor performs, performed physical examinations on under, uh, underage female athletes for his own sexual gratification. Now I want to ask you something. Does something stir up in you when you read about an article like that? Does it trouble you? Does it bother you? Do you, do you, do you just... Is your first response, all oh, those victims, uh, those young girls, they should just forgive and forget. Is that the response you have? Or is your response, those victims need justice? Is that what you feel? That's what I feel. In fact, it gets me upset sometimes when I read it. Sometimes I can't read the paper. Sometimes I, sometimes I just slam it down. Sometimes I throw it down. I, I, it just... It's, it's so bad. They need justice. We want justice. How about this? Hedge fund executive built millions of dollars from unsuspecting old age pensioners to fund a fraudulent Ponzi scheme, wiping out their retirement nest eggs. Now, does something boil up in you when you start thinking about those retirees who are doing that with with, you know, a, a good intent. Uh, they, they wanted to make sure that they were going to be able to make it to the end because they didn't have a living. They, this is their life savings. And now that's completely wiped out and you realize they're just going to be going hand to mouth for the, for the next decade or two decades, however long they live. Does something bother you inside? Or, or, do, you, or, or do you say, oh, they, they should just forgive and forget. Is that how you feel? Or do you feel they need justice. Do you feel they need justice? Yes or no, church? Yeah. That's why it upsets us. Um, do you know what's even more maddening in the, in the news? When you read that those who committed grievous crimes against others get off scot-free on a technicality because they got a high-priced defense team. That is just purely maddening when everybody knows that he did it. True? And we say, where's justice? We were, we were in Mexico, and the one taxi driver said to us, um, if you're wealthy here, uh, you get justice. And you get justice even if you're guilty. Uh, even if you're guilty, you get off. But if you're poor, you don't get justice. And that's true in all countries. And... Uh, even we flawed human beings know you can't just overlook evil. But did you know that evil is in us too? Uh, on this particular trip, when we were in Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil, um, we were checking in at this uh, one particular hotel, and uh, 
and uh, I had my bag just uh, a few feet away from me. I went and I took my wallet, took a credit card out of it, put the wallet back in a se secret place, and it was this computer bag, and it was, had a sleeve, and it went over the roll-on bag. And so it was, it was a little hard to get it off. And so it was quite secure, and it was with all our bags. There was uh, five from the team, Giordani, Chris, Christina, and Eddie, and Fran, and myself, and we're all milling around. Fran and I are checking in here, and uh, I paid for it. When I turned around, my, my, my top bag was off the sleeve, and it was gone. It had the computer, it had, the, uh, it had my phone, it had my charger, it had my Nexus card. Oh, my goodness. Wallet and credit cards, driver's license, health, everything. It was gone. I, now, thankfully, I had my passport. I could get out of the country. Amen. Whoa, if you, if you lose your passport, you're in big trouble. Um, and, uh, but you know, you know what was the first feeling that, came, that, that, that stirred up inside of me? Outrage. It, I didn't show it on the outside, but on the inside, I was going, like, how could he, how could he have violated me like that? And he's costing me so much time. My notes, my notes were in there. All my speaking notes were in there. And my computer where the notes were on, they were gone, that was gone too. And I'm going, how could he have done that? And we went around searching right away. They had guards all over the place, and of course they're all asleep, just like they were at the tomb. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they saw it on the tape. They saw it. They came out and said, we actually saw it. And uh, there's a whole story behind it, but that, that doesn't matter. The point is, I got stirred up inside. And then the Holy Spirit whispered inside of me. Do you remember when you, when you stole from that, uh, as a teenager, when you stole from that unsuspecting senior who was selling chips and pop just to make a little bit of side money? A little bit of extra pocket money on the side. Do you remember that? And suddenly, the rage was gone. And I realized the same evil that was in that thief was in Ray Dirksen too. In fact, you know, I was talking about that executive, right? That, that built that hedge fund executive and built the money from those unsuspecting seniors. As a teenager, I did that exact thing, just to a different degree. Same evil in me and in you. Isn't that true? You see, evil resides in all of us, and because God is perfectly just, the wages of sin for all of us is what? Death, plain and simple. No one will level a charge at God that he isn't just. He is just, and he will pay each one according to his deeds. Scripture says that over and over. But those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have that forgiven, which is an amazing thing. No one gets away with bad deeds done in the body. That's both gratifying on the one hand, he's just, and he's going to take care of some of those really bad guys. But... When you look at it on the flip side and you realize that evil is in us too, it's also if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life as your substitute, then it's terrifying. Because he is perfectly just. He doesn't wink at evil in the really bad guys and he doesn't wink at evil in you and I. But because of his great love, 
Jesus willingly took our sins on himself so that he would bear God's justice against sin in our place. And so Christ's sacrifice paid for our sins. That was the hell that was due us. You want to know how, what hell is like? Look at what happened to Jesus. That's how perfectly just God is with this matter of sin. So now the question comes, but did the resurrection play anything in this part? Do for anything? Yes, it did. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says he was delivered over to death and for, our, uh, for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. What does that mean? Now, uh, many of you have probably driven by a prison somewhere. I have too. And I want you to imagine being in front of a prison, and maybe you're across the street, a little bit of a distance, you can see the walls, you can see the main entrance. And you see the main gates where the vehicles drive in, and they drive out. But there's also a door in the gates. And I want you to imagine for a moment that the door opens, and a man slips, uh, steps out, blinks his eyes, and he's standing there looking around, and he's holding a duffel bag. What would come to your mind has just happened here? Exactly. A prisoner has just served his time. He has paid his debt to society, and now he has been released. He's, he's stepping out free. Jesus Christ came to pay the infinite penalty of hell for our sins, and we know that Jesus must have satisfied our eternal debt to the Father because on Easter Sunday, he walked out free. Amen, Amen church? Amen. That's what happened. That's what we're celebrating. That's how we know that our sins, that are many, his mercy is more. That's how we know that we're forgiven. That is incredible. And you know, at the prayer summit, it was a fantastic prayer summit that Pastor Chris led, wasn't it? It was amazing. And at one point, he had us listen uh, about, um, I forget how he put it, but, uh, but, but, but I was listening then, uh, he had us listening about past sins, and you know, is there any guilt left, or any shame left, or that kind of thing. And so I was sitting in the back area with a bunch of the marketplace leaders from the group that I lead, and, and, uh, and we were praying together, and I, I was listening, and I started to go back through some of those sins, including the one that I just mentioned here. I went through them, and I said, Lord, is there anything here that needs to be dealt with? And do you know what? All at once I saw this, this, this face of Jesus. I'm not sure that he looks like that, but this is the face that he, that he showed me. And it was a big grin on his face. It was just bright. It was all bright. And as I looked at every one of them, there wasn't one feeling of guilt or shame left. Because he had taken it all. Is that amazing? Our sins that are many, his mercy is? His mercy is more if we go to him and ask him for that. That's amazing. Well, the second thing here. And by the way, if you're dealing with guilt and shame, you need to sit down with Jesus and let him speak into your life about that. Maybe you're really dealing with condemnation that's coming from Satan. Because Paul says, if you're a believer and you have had your sins, you've confessed and repented of your sins, there, therefore there is, 
now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Anyway, the second thing, because he lives, I'm given a present new life. In Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, he stated that the cross had accomplished the forgiveness of sins, but this all seems to be in service for something else he's getting at. And the NLT, I think, cap captures it best. Notice what it says. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins so that we receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is identified with Jesus Christ. If anyone uh, does not have a Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ, Paul said. The miracle of the resurrection is not merely that Jesus Christ lives bodily as great as, that it, as it is. He is on the right hand of the Father and he's ruling with him. He's sovereign. He's over the nations, even over the chaos we see. But that because he rose, he lives in us today. Amen. That's the powerful truth of the resurrection for the Christian. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, help me church, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Over 200 times Paul talks about us being in, in Christ and Christ in me. Say, in me. In me. Because you're going to be saying in me a bunch of times very shortly, okay? So get used to it. Jesus himself talked about it before the crucifixion. He said, and I will ask the Father and, and he will send another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world doesn't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he lives with you and will be, what? In you. In you. Yes. And then, of course, he says, I will not leave you as or orphans. I will come to you. In one moment, he says, I'm sending the Spirit to you. And in the same breath, he says, I will come to you. Spirit of Christ lives in us. That's why you can say, Jesus lives in me. Jesus lives in me. That's a great truth. This is no small matter. Jesus isn't just alive. He's alive in me. I'm going to say that. He's alive, and then I want you to go in me, okay? He's alive. Ah, oh, that changes everything. Um, because we're, we're, just, we're just going to have time for five. We don't even really have time for five, but we'll just go through five very, very quickly. And what I'm going to do, it's going to come up, it's going to come up like uh, because he lives, and then I'm going to say because he lives, and you're going to go in me, I can have fellowship with Christ. Because he lives in me, but you're doing the yellow, I can have fellowship with Christ. Are you ready for that? Okay, we're going to have some fun with that. Here we go. Because he lives. Very good. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God who has called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.9. Uh, he wants to fellowship with you. You're not alone. One, uh, one day, uh, Fran and I were ministering to a woman and, uh, and uh, some inner healing and different things. And anyway, 
uh, all at once, she expressed to us, she said, you know what I'd really like to do more than anything? And we said, what? She said, I would like to, I would like to have coffee with Jesus on my deck in the morning. Oh, we said, that's amazing. Well, then we continued ministering to her. And we got to the end of, end of the time, and we, we closed off with prayer, and we said, Lord, is there anything else you want to say to this, this uh, dear woman? And she said, all at once, her eyes started fluttering, and we said, is he speaking to you? And she said, yes. And we said, well, what did he say? He said, I'll see you in the morning for coffee. He wants fellowship with us, doesn't he? And you can have fellowship with him because he lives in me. Haha, <laughs> that's why. He's not distant. Uh, here's the second one. Because he lives. Very good. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Ephesians 3.19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, I like that verse. Oh, I love that verse. Because he's not saying that you can know about his love for you. You know, um, the, the, the little song that says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, that's good. That, that, that's good as far as it goes. But it's not complete. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible told me so, and now I've experienced it, and it's beyond knowing about it. Amen? Amen. How many of you have experienced Jesus' love as you're having your devotional time? Whoa, see, look at his sea of hands. You know what I'm talking about. Come and help me preach. <laughs> you know what I'm talking. Okay, let's go on to the third one then. Because he lives... Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. There's power for ministry in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, I remember when this church had about 500 people. That's many years ago. And uh, I remember one day in prayer saying, God, I think you need to find somebody else because this is, this is getting too much. This is kind of, <laughs> this is now I'm past my line of ability. And then he said to me very uh, carefully, he said, no, you don't, I don't need somebody else because you have me in you. It's not you doing it. It's me. It's Jesus Christ in me. Amen? Oh, there's far too much talk in the church today about you know, just find your gifts and then, then you just do that. Yes, to a certain extent, that there is some truth to that, but Jesus can give you whatever power, whatever gifts you need for what he calls you to do. Amen? And often he'll ask you to take a step of faith before he'll give it to you. Aha! That's a walk of faith, and that's what pleases God, Hebrews 11. True? Now, I'm not saying go sign up for something that you're absolutely useless at. You can't, you, can't, you, can't sing in a, you can't sing a note, but I was singing beside this brother over here, and I said, you belong in a choir. You sing tenor. I did that this morning. <laughs> it's the truth. He knows that. <laughs> and uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But if Jesus says to you, you, and he keeps bugging you and says, you need to be in that choir. You need to be working with those kids over there or whatever, and you say, oh, I'm not, I can't do that. It's not about you and me. Amen? It's about 
Jesus who lives in me. <laughs> Today, it's really funny. I said, I can't do that. 500, 500 people. Today, uh, through church renewal, I'm mentoring 500 pastors. Never mind people. And they represent, I did a calculation, of roughly 60,000 people. See, with, it, when he is in me, we can do anything. See, Matthew 19, 26, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh. Wow. Because he lives... Oh, yeah, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from me. I'm hard-pressed. We're hard-pressed on all sides, but not? Perplexed, but not? Persecuted? Struck down? We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Amen? <laughs> Wow, I think, it, I, I mean, uh, who else would you think of? You had Brother Yun here. Smashed legs and all the rest. How do you, how do you, you know, I listen to those messages too. And how, how, do you, how do you do that day after day in prison? How can you do that? Because he lives, I have the ability to withstand any stress. Far too many Christians are crumbling today who should not be because Jesus lives within them. Is that true? Is that Bible truth or not? Or is this just raised blubberish? No, that's what the Bible says. Okay, lastly, that's all we have time for. Because he lives. Oh, yeah, Galatians 5, 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And I think about that perfect testimony by James and Adeline this morning. Unbelievable. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> That's, we can have power over sin. We can have victory over sin. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Exactly right. No wonder Paul said... I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. <laughs> no wonder he said that. He wanted to tap into all its potential in, in his earthly life. And lastly, because he lives, I am guaranteed a future resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits, oh, I love that, that he's using that word, of those who have fallen asleep. Paul used a metaphor from agriculture to indicate that Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection as well. If Jesus can raise himself from the dead, then he can surely raise you and I from the dead too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's no problem. Dead? Are you serious? And he can raise himself to life? I mean, yeah, go raise somebody else, and he did, like Lazarus. But raise himself, if he can do that, he can raise the rest of us. That's a piece of cake. Oh, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 
in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the, imper when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mor mortal with the immortality, then the saying that has been written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Amen? I was talking to a dear brother from our church today. He's just telling me before the service, I've just got months to live. That's what the doctors say. I hate death, don't you? I hate it. It's a curse. It's not natural. It's abnormal. It's not what God intended. It's because of what sin did. But I'm glad that my brother and all of us, we all will face today. It's a point where a man wants to die and after this is judgment. I'm glad that this is just a little, just it's infinitesimally small piece of the rest of our lives for eternity. Huh. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It'll be, it'll be done because of the resurrection. And we have a guarantee by that. That's what resurrection means. We'll have our bodies. God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that's how he became a living being. It was body and spirit, and they will be united. So the essence of humanity isn't just spirit, but spirit joined with body. This body doesn't just house the real you. It is part of the real you. Death is abnormal because it tears apart what God created. And when God sent Jesus to die, it was for our bodies as well as for our spirits. And that's why Paul said what he did in Romans 8, 23, and not, so, not only so, but we ourselves, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. <laughs> When we die, it isn't just our real self goes to the present heaven and the fake self goes to the grave. When we die, a part of us goes to heaven and a part of us goes to the grave. We will never be all that God intended us to be until body and spirit are joined together. Oh, God may give us a temporary body or something until uh, till that time. But eventually, the two are coming back together. And that's amazing. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 17, Paul again writing said, he wrote a lot about death and about resurrection and all the rest, and he said, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you, that we who are alive and remain will not precede those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Trumpet, there it is again, like from 1 Corinthians 15. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Oh, 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 wow. Do you long to see Jesus? Do you? Do you want to see him? Have you had enough of this world? 
You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, Paul said, for, my, for the time has come, for, no, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the t- time has come for my departure. I've fought a good fight, finished the race, kept the, kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to, also to those who have longed for his appearing. Oh, I long to see him. I was praying about that yesterday again and today again. I said, Lord Jesus, I just want to see you. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm so done with this. When you were born again, you experienced the first change. You became a new person and sin no longer had power over you. It doesn't mean you don't sin, but it means you don't have to sin. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't have power over you. And um, same person, but, but you're better. Kind of like we saw in the testimony, right? Isn't it true? All of us, we got this past, but now God's changed us. Is it amazing? It, it's amazing. That's the first change that happens. There's a second change coming, though. And uh, it's coming, it comes at death. It's actually something to look for, forward to. I mean, as bad as death is, you know what? There's a second change coming. The first change is just the first fruits. <laughs> it's just the first fruits of the Spirit, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. That's what he means by that. Here's the second change that is coming. The second change is no more sin. No more presence of sin done with it. Amen? Done with it. Oh, And that's not it yet either. Then comes the resurrection and the final change. One more change coming. You've only experienced one. (laughs) You think you you got something now? You're only one-third of the way. Never mind the rewards. You get the redemption of your bodies. My my wife's been uh, turning over for 45 years in our bed looking at me in the morning. And I don't look the same as I did 45 years ago. And all kinds of things that, you know, start to go wrong. (laughs) Those of you that are in the 60s, you can testify to that. All kinds of stuff goes wrong. It's all going to get redeemed, amen? (laughs) There's more change coming. And it's all positive, by the way. No, no, No more tummy tucks and all that. No, don't need it. Wow. God is salvaging us and restoring us to our original design. And you know why he's redeeming our bodies? This is the last thing. Because he's getting it ready for a redeemed earth. Oh yes, even the earth is going to be redeemed. And Paul says that. I mean, some people are confused by that first Thessalonians passage that I quoted, you know. Uh, we're going to meet him in the air. Well, that's just because... That's how they did it in those days. A conqueror would come to the city and the citizens would go out and usher him back into the city. We're coming back. We're coming back to this, this earth. Uh, I like what John says in Revelation 21. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth were passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, 
and he will live with them. They will be his people, and he will be with them and be their God. And then it says in verse 4, he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. My brother who I just spoke to before the service and sister, he'll wipe every tear from your eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's what's coming. For the old order of things has passed away. That's what's coming. That's your hope. That's our hope. Amen, church? That's our hope. That's what I'm looking forward to. Are you too? <laughs> I know you are. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I don't know why you wouldn't want him after today. After what you heard from the Word, and what the Word tells us is, is yours now. Forgiveness of sin, removal of guilt and shame, and only more to come. Removal of presence of sin and all those things. Redemption of the bodies, new heaven, new earth. I mean, it's going to be amazing. Maybe right now you're saying, why don't you quit talking? I just want Jesus in my heart. I want it already. Well, then follow me in this prayer right now in your heart. And if you prayed in your heart to God, you will be saved. Lord, thank you for bringing me here this morning. And thank you for showing me the truth from your word. And Jesus, I need my sins forgiven. I need my past wiped out. I need, I need the guilt and the shame taken away and the power to have victory over sin. And Lord Jesus, I want those promises that you have for us that are, that are coming to us that, that I heard about this morning. And so I receive what Jesus did on the cross in my place. I know you're a just God and I deserve it, but I heard today that Jesus took it for me. And so if I receive it, then I can be a child of God. To as many as received him, they became children of God. Thank you for saving me. I want to follow you for the remainder of my days. I love you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today, you're a Christian, and you've been struggling with sin in the past, and shame and guilt and condemnation. You need to do what Pastor Chris took us through in that exercise. Maybe you need to sit down with a mature Christian and say, can we listen in prayer together? I'd like Jesus to speak to me about some of those things I've done. And I would just like it cleaned up. And that's, that's your homework for this week. You find a mature Christian or you find a staff person, somebody, and you listen in prayer. And you can, have, you can know that wonderful freedom that Jesus offers you in this life and so much more to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to, would you like to sing with me? We haven't sung together for a while. Why don't we sing together? We're going to sing because he lives, all right? We're going to sing that together. Because he lives, you can stand. I can face tomorrow. Sing it out, church.
happy to pray with you just as we invited you to do before all right that's the end of the service god bless you have a wonderful easter and a wonderful week you're dismissed